from orchestraxgroups.com. This is the Per Service Podcast. We have these conversations because there's more to having a fulfilling life in classical music than just depositing notes for a paycheck or working your way to the front of the section or gaining fame and followers on social media. We are searching for and sharing these truth brahms, like truth bombs, but Brahms, as we like to call them. And we're so glad that you could join us on this journey. We have an amazing jam-packed episode today, so I'm going to try to keep this short. But our guest really embodies all those things we just talked about. He is first associate concertmaster of the LA Phil and teaches at the prestigious Colburn Institute for the Performing Arts. And yet, when most concert masters and teachers in his position are inaccessible except to only a handful of their students, Nathan is one of the most generous and active people online, recording amazing lessons on YouTube, sharing his own podcast and starting entire audition practice challenges, writing blog posts and inspiring thousands of musicians all over the world. This was one of our favorite episodes that we've had to date, and there are some just pearls of wisdom and Lots of laughs ahead. Before we get into our episode, I just want to tell you about Fix Music Publishing, who supports our show and covers the cost of hosting. With the start of a new semester, I'm sure you're going to be picking up lots of new music and planning recitals, etc. Let me save you just a ton of time and headache from trying to find that music and go to fixmusic.com. Also, if you're a teacher, you can create your own portal there, so to speak, so your students can find the books they need and not accidentally bring Suzuki book 52 for bagpipes to their violin lesson. Oh, this isn't it, but it says Suzuki on it. No, look, no, nobody wants that. As a podcast listener, you can get 10% off your order also by using the promo code per service at checkout. Look at that. I also saved you money. That's F-I-C-K-S music.com. Okay, so if you're new to the show, my co-hosts and I are four string players. I'm Michael O'Giblin. I play violin in the Miami City Ballet, among other groups in the South Florida area. Jessica Wiersma is a violinist in Indianapolis. Mm, updates coming soon about that. Anna Luce is concertmaster on tour with the musical Hamilton. Fortunately, she just relocated to Boston and is no longer in the path of uh, Hurricane Florence. And Christian Marshall, a violist in Graz, Austria. Also also has some big life changes up coming up very soon. So you can find some show notes at perservice.co slash 42. You can find the links of everything we're talking about there. Okay, enjoy the show. For everybody joining Yay! us, we have a special guest with us today. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if I can do it on the spot like this. <laughs> Announce, announcing our mystery guest is first, tell me if I get this right, first... First associate concert master of the LA Philharmonic, Nathan Cole. You did get that exactly right. That's, that's already exactly pretty right. tough to do. That's a lot. That's a that's a long yeah, title. First associate. It's that's it's a, way too long. You, do you have any like additional like endowed chair? Like do you have anybody else? Oh you know, like right, a, yeah. I'm the Ernest Fleischmann chair, the old president oh, okay. of the Philharmonic, who I, I never got to meet. 
but was apparently a stand up. I, I can see how so. you could, we could just shorten that for, for shorten that for time's sake. Here we go. So we're gonna we're gonna skip over. I think all the a lot of the the preliminary questions. Like, so tell us how you started on the violin. We're just gonna we're gonna we're gonna jump over that if that's all right. I should preface this. Nathan has a fantastic podcast. It's okay. called Stand Partners for Life. And some of your first introduction uh, episodes are all about your bio of you and your wife, Akiko. And please are, tell her, give her our condolences for not inviting her on as well. <laughs> well we, got, uh, we got a full house here. There's a lot, there's a lot of people here going right now. So. Uh, so if you want to know all about Nathan, go check out his podcast. Um, what I think we just want to jump right into are all the nitty gritties about auditions and audition live. All right. I'm up for it. <laughs> all right. Pretty much. If, you, if you've listened to the podcast, you know that I would just ramble and not really ask a question and just end with, did that make any sense? I love that about the show, though, because it's, it's a really a conversation with all you guys. All right. So a lot of us are in audition modes, maybe aren't have anything lined up because it's kind of summer right now. Or But auditions are a big part of how we get work and how, at least in our... our experience so far taking auditions is a big part of being a classical musicians. But my question is, are auditions really the best way to find like good colleagues? And I don't know, it's because I, I almost wonder, it's like, is there, is there, is there another alternative? And what, what are the downsides of uh, these other alternatives? Um, Well, I mean, the the system (sighs) used to be not the audition system, but just sort of the, the good old boy system and it was pretty much all boys. <laughs> and, um, you know, if uh, you needed someone for your orchestra or for whatever it was, just, uh, I've got my friend Pete over here and he's a good guy. You'll like him. All right. You know, bring him in. And if he does the job okay, then, right. then we're good. And uh, even, you know, my grandfather who played in the Philadelphia Orchestra for in the 40s to the 60s, um, you know, he essentially got the job because his teacher was the principal. And when there was a vacancy, you know, he said, come on down, bring all the stuff we've been working on and play it the way you play it. And, you know, it was an audition of sorts. And my grandpa had to be ready when his time came. That was kind of the rule back then. You you just always stay, stay hungry, stay ready. But, um, you know, there were not, it was not yeah. a worldwide search. I guess that's why I've always thing is because it's like it seems like we created these auditions to give everybody a chance yeah and that's what it does yeah but it starts to feel like ah you have to be like you have to play perfect or you have to be that it's like ah if only there was another way and it's like well there's sometimes there are other ways like there is sort of that you know only inviting a short list of candidates and actually you see it's you know the pendulum goes back and forth right so there was that old way and then people wanted more equality obviously and so then you you have international auditions and they're blind and everybody gets a time and then orchestras we're seeing now start saying well we don't want to spend all that time hearing everybody we just want to hear the people we want to hear and then maybe pick the best one of those (laughs) so then maybe it's going to go too far that way and some people would say it has gone too far that way with certain orchestras um you know new york philharmonic now and i'm not saying they've gone too far but they really don't want to spend a lot of time hearing people in new york they want to hear people send recordings now to to pre-screen them Uh, And so that is also, you know, uh, I would call that fair and that everybody gets a chance. Everybody gets a chance to send a recording. 
and then the people they're interested in take a live audition. Chicago's still, everybody who shows up can play. Um, they're kind of the famous ones for that. Um, but to really answer your question, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the only other way is giving people more time on the job to see how they do. And I, th- I think most right. of us, most players would agree that's the best way to see how somebody does the job and what kind of colleague they are. But that just takes so much time and you can only offer that to a very limited number of people. Have you had situations where, you know, somebody plays a fantastic audition and everyone is like, yes, this is who we want. And then they get to the job and everyone's like, no, this is like not what we were expecting. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And uh, that's, you know, that's why we have a tenure process. But honestly, most orchestras that I've either been a part of or have mm-hmm. uh, talked to people about, most orchestras are so reluctant not to give someone tenure because it's just they've moved to whatever city it is and they've become mm-hmm. your colleagues, whether you know whether you think they're doing the best job or not. Yep. And to say, okay, actually, no, now you, now you don't have a job at all. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that's tough and it's usually reserved for those cases where you just don't see that any improvement's going to be possible. Mm-hmm. Or I've seen it too. Actually, I should say I've seen it too, where someone was hired for one position, and then there was kind of an absence higher up, and they were thrust into the limelight when that's not even necessarily the job they were hired for. Oh, really? Like a like a title position then yeah. right? opened up? I mean, no. Well, like let's say someone gets hired for a title position, but not the <laughs> not principal. But then the principal's mm-hmm. out their whole right. first oh, okay. year, maybe. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I actually know of a current situation like that's oh, yeah. going to be very interesting. Right. How that and works so then out. how do you, yeah. how does the, how do you decide to give that person tenure or not? It's like, well, may, you know, we don't think they've done the world's mm-hmm. best job as principal. Right. Would they have been okay in the job they were hired for? Maybe. Right. Probably. <laughs> you can't just like office space them. Just be like, could you just move your desk back to storage B for us? That'd be great. <laughs> Yeah, for, just further, further. Well, like uh, British orchestras, they give people huge long trials, months and months of trials, and they just don't care how long it takes to to find the right person. They're just going to do it. But that's also usually because they give multiple people after an audition those trials. They'll select three or four winners, and then those three or four have two to three to six months. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. No, seriously. But then it's like you take you could take like two years before you know if you have the job. Oh, yeah. And that, you know, so yeah. those orchestras consider that worth the, the time and everything. And I, I just, I played guest concertmaster or guest leader, they would say, in the City of Birmingham Symphony for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And... I was constantly, you know, I'd ask some, another violinist a question like, oh, how does it work in this orchestra? And they'd say, oh, I don't know. I'm on trial. And then <laughs> talk to the next person like, oh, oh I'm doing a trial. Um, so, yeah, it was like a quarter of the orchestra was, you know, on trial or substitute. You could have been like, I'm on trial too. It's fine. Oh. Okay. I hope you didn't take that personally. Then you're like, oh, it's Nathan Cole. Let's, let's take vacation week that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, it's true. And they also had a thing too, if, um, if you were a parent... Um, whether you were the mother or the father, you could elect to work um, only half time and get half pay <laughs> until the kid was out of the house until they were 18. Whoa. Oh my gosh. So That's amazing. A lot of the orchestra was only half timers. And so for that reason too, they had a lot of substitutes, a lot of trial members. 
And it was a younger, a younger group for that reason too. Assuming you have to play a concert, right? You can't just go to like three rehearsals and then go home. That's right. It's like <laughs> my halftime is rehearsals only. I only go to rehearsals and then I skip the. Concert. Actually, I would say, I would say concerts only. I'm not going to rehearse anymore. I'm only going <laughs> to play the that, concerts. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't want to have to listen to the totally. talk all week. I can only do the morning services. Uh, well, there, there's downsides to all of all yeah. of it, right? But it's just it's interesting thinking hearing you talk about this, Nathan, and thinking, oh, I'm actually a part of the old school where I definitely am now in this Broadway world where people ask their friends or people who think they are qualified. And we talk about this extensively within our band right now, just because it's so different. Interesting. No, it's good. An article that you wrote that I really enjoyed was, I don't know if it was on your own website. I'm sure everything is also on your website. Yeah. I'll just give that plug for that right now. Nate'sViolin.com, right, is where we find all the goodies. Um, it was talking about kind of the story that you're you're portraying in an audition and how, like, as a panel member, is it the panel member kind of starts to latch on and, and believe this story about, about the candidate. And I wonder if you talk a little bit more about that. Does that kind of only show up in like later rounds or like once maybe the screen is down or is that, is that even like in the first rounds where you're trying to just weed out people that have no business being there or if it's a higher level thing? I think it's present in, in all the rounds, um, especially when you can't see someone. So those that first round where there's almost always a screen, that's when, you know, if I'm on the committee, I'm I try not to do it, but I start painting a picture of the person, not necessarily the, the visual picture, but, you know, who sure. that person is and whether or not I like them or more importantly, trust them. I start telling that story to myself right from the very first few notes. Wow. And, you know, the kind of story I tell is going to be different from the person sitting next to me. And it's going to be influenced by how hungry I am and how many people I've heard that day and how many people I've heard play that concerto that day. And um, as much as I try to block all that out, yeah, as soon as someone makes a sound, I'm like, ooh, okay, they're this type of player. And um, oh, wait, they can also do this. Uh, They don't do this so well. And um, now that I've listened to so many hundreds of auditions, I'm a little bit better at keeping that in perspective. But yeah, I think that's the tough thing. That has always been the tough thing for me to realize when I'm on the other side of the screen, meaning playing an audition, mm-hmm. um, it is, it's not, it's never going to be totally objective or fair and not every measure of my playing counts as much as every other measure. You know, it's, I was always frustrated when I was younger, how some of my peers in school, it seemed like they could screw up all over the place and people always loved their playing and talked about them like they were the, the most accurate player ever. And I'm, I'm thinking, no, 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 I saw that. I heard them miss that and that and that, (laughs) but it's the way they did it and when they did it and how it fit into the whole context. People trusted them. They Uh. thought of them as a rock solid player for, for all kinds of reasons that I later found out you can work on. It's not just they're born with it. Uh, Yeah. And principally when you're on an audition panel, you want to trust the person who's auditioning. You is that generally like kind of the mindset you have? You you want to hear someone play and you want to trust them as a musician? Absolutely, yeah. You want to feel like from the time they start playing that you you get them or that they get you and your style. Because the, the thing is that everybody on the audition committee 
I, I had a colleague in the Chicago Symphony say, the older I get, the better I was. And <laughs> I, I, I just, it. I yes. love that line. Because <laughs> we all, you know, whenever I'm listening to an audition, if I'm not careful, I think, you know, yeah, I, I know it all. I can play all this stuff. And <laughs> they need to measure up to my standard and, you know, our standard is an orchestra. And so if someone can start playing and make me feel that right away, that they get the way I want to hear this stuff, then... There's a there's a trust factor there, and I'm going to be likely to overlook any number of details. So that's more than just being like, oh, they're they have great rhythm and they have great intonation. It's, right. I guess that's what I want to get down to. Like, what are those musical qualities that resonate with you as a musician that get you to trust the person who's auditioning? Mm-hmm. Um, number one, and I think this is true for for all instruments that I hear, and and when I talk to my colleagues too, it's the sound quality, the type of sound. Now, obviously, that is could be different person to person and it's certainly different uh certain instruments between the u.s and europe for example like oboe you know european oboe playing you know people may hear that here and say that's not at all the type of sound that that i like and so they're just out violin i think is not it's not quite so divided as that even though there is a subjective quality to violin sound when someone walks out and plays with easygoing vibrato when they project comfort and mastery however we want to define that so i don't know if i'm quite answering the question yet but sound quality just if someone plays four or five long notes you know they're starting the tchaikovsky concerto they're starting the sibelius concerto and if they sound like they're comfortable with what they're doing that's a great first impression Kind of like how you'd walk into a room at a party or on a blind date. The way you walk into the room oh, yeah. says so much about yeah, it. I think I had a, some teacher. That I, I think they were applying it more towards like college auditions. They were saying like, you can tell so much about the candidates when they just walk in the room. Just like how you walk in the room. I've heard right. some people say about like conductors is like how they step up onto the podium. It's like you already know like so much about them. Yeah. <laughs> And then, as you said, like rhythm and intonation, mm. those, those are things that can help your case or, or maybe take away from it. Like someone has that great meaty sound or you know, maybe they're playing Mozart and so it's a great pure sound. And then intonation stuff starts to crop up. It's like, wait, no, I thought I trusted this guy. Why are they letting me down like this? Or, you know, the bad rhythm. It's like, oh, uh, what, you know. So huh. I can see like that's now, how now like, your trust kind of fades. If like someone starts off really great and you're like, yes, this is my guy. And then you're like, what, what, what's happening? Why? Right. You know, why, why is this great player screwing up like this? So if it happens the other way, someone starts out with bad pitch and bad rhythm, you're like, oh, you know, this, this person can't do anything. And then you start to hear a great sound and you're like, but wait, you know, where did this come from? This, this bad player somehow managed huh. to get a great sound. How does that? But you, so you can overcome the first impression, but just like in other yeah. areas of life, it's, it's harder to overcome. Which do you think is more common? Like in auditions you hear, or like people that advance, do you think it's people that start off well and then maybe they have some mistakes or something or the people that start off a little shaky and then they gain their confidence throughout is there one that looks better you know in the end it doesn't matter but i would say it's more common for people to start off well and then maybe have some some things down the line Mm -hmm. and it's more common i think for two reasons for the players themselves it's just easier to get a good start and then ignore 
bad stuff later on. Whereas you, you guys know, and it's happened to me too, you have a, a bad start. Mm-hmm. Just you start telling yourself all this terrible stuff about what they're, you know, what they're right. thinking back there. It's, it's just harder to start playing well after that. But it certainly happens. I've, one of the most interesting moments for me when we get to the end, to the finals of an audition, is when they say, okay, here are our five finalists, and here were their numbers in the first round and the second round. And so then everybody starts diving through their notes. Like, right. yeah, like, oh, oh it was, they were 21 in the prelims and 45 in the semis. Oh, yeah, weird. Both times they had this bad start, and then I kind of liked them by the end. That's yeah, that you know, interesting. Oh, interesting. Or, you know, like, wait, that person advanced? I, really? <laughs> or like, oh, of course, you know, yeah, of course this person had to advance. We still don't know who they are. They're still screened maybe, but... Yeah, I think yeah. it'd be fascinating to kind of be on an audition panel with you and kind of w- walk through the, like, hearing all the candidates and uh, kind of hearing what you think. As a matter of fact, would you like to try? Uh, what, what do you have in mind? <laughs> well, I think we, it's time to play our little audition game. We have uh, three candidates. First, we have, we have some violinists. And I thought maybe we should be a little more equal opportunity or a little more inclusive. And we have uh, three flute players also. Ooh. The violinist, it's like a minute and a half. Uh, and the flute is like a minute and a half. Yeah. We'll listen to our candidates and uh, keep, keep in mind a little bit what you think about them. And uh, afterwards, we'll have a little discussion about uh, who we're going to uh, pick for our... Uh, this is the Sleepy River yeah. uh, Symphony Philharmonic. <laughs> 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 I, first, no. I, I no, used that once in a video. I was like, it's the Sleepy River Philharmonic. Um, well, one of you really is in the middle of the night here now, right? <laughs> Oh. I'm actually well, surprised for, you don't have your signature gin and tonic up. right now, you know? I know. But because I have a bus to catch yeah. in four hours, and I'm very nervous. Oh, that, like, that's why. Oh, that, that sounds good. good. Yeah. You're taking a anyway. bus to Israel? No, to the airport. Oh, to, to, and then we're flying. All right. but, yeah. This is candidate number one playing Strauss. Thank you. You may begin whenever you're ready. Thank you. This is candidate number two. Thank you. This is candidate number three. Awesome. I thought I put my awesome. recording on a private YouTube channel. Oh God! Yeah, no, uh, no. Actually. Well, that third one definitely had a meaty sound, oh, wasn't that? That third one? Yeah, it was called baloney. Oh. oh. Just yeah. <laughs> so that's a dad joke. <laughs> so. I'm curious, um, you know, uh, sort of uh, in some auditions, do you have 
you have a discussion after you hear all the the people in the round and uh, there's a little bit of back and forth maybe about uh or is it always always just like just vote privately well let's see of the three orchestras that i've been part of it's always been a, a secret vote first before any discussion, mm-hmm. except for the finals. Every orchestra has done the finals a little bit differently. But yeah, mm-hmm. no, um, although I will let you in on something in LA, I think maybe they've just changed it. I haven't been part of an audition in a year or so. Sorry, I have to back up just a tad. In Chicago, there is this system where, let's say someone was really just never, yeah, no chance, say like audition number three here. <laughs> Audit- yes. Oh, you didn't like candidate number three? I thought he had oh, no, no, great sorry. personality. <laughs> oh, that was the right, meaty sound. That's right. <laughs> that was the meaty sound. But let's say there was someone uh-huh. like that. Then what would typically happen is whoever was kind of the head honcho at the audition, probably the concertmaster, if it was violin audition, might turn around with a look that said, all right, I'm cutting this guy off soon, right? And then only if some people objected, right. maybe said, I want to hear more. <laughs> only in that case might we hear more. And so... Some people came to feel that the system was a little bit unfair because it required, you know, raising your hand and not speaking out against the principal or whoever might be running the audition, but kind of putting yourself out there. And so in L.A., it was felt that we should have something more anonymous. So we actually got this clicker or buzzer system. (gasps) Wow. (laughs) Where... Every member of the panel had a little clicker and there was a master, they all fed into this master box that the head of the committee would, only the head of the committee could see. And so if you had heard enough, Mm -hmm. then then you you would click your clicker and one by one, the numbers would add up at the central switch Uh there. And then once more than half of the committee had clicked in, then the head of the committee might say, well, the problem is that people keep trying to look over the head of the committee's shoulder to see the number on the box. Like, <laughs> like oh, 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 they've got how four many clicks. more safeguards do we need here? People? I know. Wait, it's like America's got talent. <laughs> I know everybody's like, trying to like, because you you've decided what you think, but you still kind of want to get a little sense of what the other people are thinking. It's pretty juvenile. And so I think they've, they've changed that. But. I kind of feel like that's like a, um, the, the TV show, the voice, you know, it's all like, Oh, these oh, yeah. are blind auditions. And then every like promo for it is like some judge, like peering around his seat to like, try to look at the candidate. It's I like, what's this is the point. This is the whole premise of the show is that it's blind. Yeah. Well, I will say, yeah, we never, we can never see anybody. None of that is ever, this right. is all like meta all just, stuff. Yeah, like, I, know, this is I like, wonder what, uh, what so-and-so is thinking. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 they clicked them. in yet? They clicked in yet? <laughs> Basically. Uh, so it's been a little while since we heard the recordings, but, uh, anything that jump out at you of, uh, these candidates for violin? Oh, sure. Well, so, I mean, the first two, actually all three auditions are typical examples of what I hear at violin auditions wow. for the LA Phil, to be honest. I mean, yeah, I'm, there, you I'm know, bet. there are a lot of people like number three who are kind of, they just figure they give it a throw shot, their hat Ooh. in the ring. What's right. the worst that can happen? So, right. um, and, but one and two were really interesting. I really liked number one. I, I mean, if that were a prelim audition and I only had Don Juan to go on, I uh-huh. would, I'm, I'm sure I would pass them along cause I, there was so much to like and really just a couple things to nitpick on, but nothing that bothered me very much. And it was kind of nice that that was first because it sort of set the the baseline. See, I wonder what would have happened if two and one had been reversed. Okay. Because two had a lot of energy and excitement. Yeah, a little overplayed maybe. 
Yeah, not uh, the first thing was the rhythm in the very beginning. That would have been like, that would have been hard to ever yeah. vote yes on. That was kind of a red flag. And then yeah, all those big down bows that are kind of crunched. But if that one had been first, and then number one had come after that, mm-hmm. I might have listened to the beginning of number one's recording like, huh, this is, this is pretty safe, pretty sedate. Interesting. Even though it's. Mm-hmm. Absolutely so, right. This stuff is, is fascinating because it's all we always like play these mind games of like, oh no, I drew number one. That's the worst. And it's like maybe, you know, but then, it, maybe it's yeah. not. Maybe being number yeah. second is maybe second is worse. Yeah. Wait, wait, so can yeah. I ask? Like I've heard two sides of the story. Do you compare people within the same hour to each other? And do you compare different hours to previous hours? Or technically are you just supposed to be like, here's one person, what are they doing? Yes or yeah. no? Personally, I, I, and for violin, this works okay. Personally, I try to compare everyone to some standard that I have somewhere in my head, which is so vague, but I think that's the only way to do okay. it. Now, if I'm on a clarinet committee, it's really tough because the first person comes into play and I'm like, that was, you know, really good. Some things I like, some things I don't. Um, <laughs> let's let, let me hear like five more before I decide to vote yes or no. I kind of have oh, to do okay. that, you know, the, and the first day of an audition like that, let's say. Yeah. Um, but when I have talked to doctors, let's say, or yeah. scientists about our audition process, they ask the same things that you do. They're like, what? That's ridiculous. You don't. So you, okay, you hear six people at a time, then you take a break wouldn't you like pick your two favorite out of those and then bring them back to do a runoff against your two favorite from the next six and then mix up the order and make it random and then listen to them all again and compare right. your notes. And I'm like, no, don't do that. That's kind yeah. of a take a while. I was curious because, you know, people are always saying like you're in competition against yourself. Like, don't worry about who else is in your hour or wherever you end up drawing your number. And I totally understand that. But at the same time, it's kind of like, okay, but actually like right. if the person who currently has the job You're, plays right before me, that's really hard to, to sometimes be like, Oh, they're not going to compare me to that person when, you know, it's like, of course they are. They know, so, they they will. Um, yeah. I mean, all these, you know, all these things I'm talking about, as a candidate, obviously you have no control over, so it's really not even worth of thinking about. Um, I just, I thought we would all find it interesting to talk about and to know that those things exist. But mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. When you're, when you're going out to play, um, yeah, you do your thing. I mean, people are going to like you or they're not, I guess it's kind of like the blind date right. thing, you know, the blind date walks in, you right. know, <laughs> either you basically like them or you basically don't at least in terms of like <laughs> yeah. marrying them or something, sure. which is kind of what giving right. someone a job is. And if they kind of fall into the like category, then there are a whole bunch of follow-up <laughs> things and safeguards maybe that you want to <laughs> um, discover. But you know, you're not going to jump from one category to the other unless mm-hmm. something extraordinary it's happens. Do you, do you believe that there are other musicianship qualities that are not about the playing that also come through in the audition? The underlying tone of this conversation has a lot to do with head games, the head games that, that are played in the panel or that are played among those auditioning. But do you, do you sometimes hear that in an audition? Can you hear the musician in a head game with themselves or like, do you hear sometimes that sort of tension or doubt or confidence? And do you think that we're 
building a healthy audition culture currently in the classical music world? Yeah, it's um, to, to answer your question, absolutely. That that does come through probably more in the finals when you can see someone, mm-hmm. but certainly also okay. behind a screen too. Uh, I mean, everything from how long someone takes to get started and what you hear or don't hear when they do get started, what they do between excerpts. Um, and again, none of this is deal-breaking type stuff, but you know, when the proctor <laughs> announces, okay, this is candidate number 30, and then you don't hear anything for 60 seconds, uh, it, it does take the committee out of their comfort zone, which is not something that you as the candidate want to do because they're all sitting around wondering like, what's going on? Did, did they leave the stage or did their bow shatter? Um, <laughs> I've had that you know, dream so, actually. Right. <laughs> Where I'm like, my like, bow exploded. And they're like, you have to keep playing anyway. And Tchaikovsky I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> um, and just, you know, the, the way that somebody starts you know, some people, you can hear them kind of testing the sound a little bit before every, or, you know, tuning, I get asked mm-hmm. that all the time. Can, can sure. you tune or can you play a few notes before you start? And my answer is always the first thing the committee hears is going to be their first impression of you. So if I've heard people tune where it makes sense to me, like, yeah, that might be the way I, I might tune and the instrument sounds fine and they're you know, they sound like a conscientious tuner, mm-hmm. <laughs> but most of the time it's like, you're wasting my time, you know, and yeah. like the, by the way you tune, I can already tell that you're just not uh, someone I'd want to sit next to. <laughs> I mean, that's an extreme yeah, case. It's but, fascinating that like that little, like, you know, five, 10 seconds or something could just like completely turn the panel against you. Yeah. Mm. Th- and again, you could recover from it obviously by sure. playing well, but mm-hmm. why start yourself in that hole just you know walk out you should rehearse your routine from walking out to putting the instrument under your chin or you know not right. <laughs> not if it's the flute and um, and start your first selection you you know that's part of your audition can you tell when people are just nervous like can you tell if a mistake it's like you know when can you hear the nerves and you can just be like oh man i feel bad oh yeah you know, you know like be have some empathy or are you you know is it like, oh, that person just sucks? Like, no, yeah. I, on violin, I can tell almost all the time what's... Okay. And, and that that's one of the things that we always laugh about afterwards. Like, let's say after the whole audition's over, you know, it's like number four got hired. You know, we might say like, wow, in the beginning of the finals, right? Weren't you thinking like... Oh, you're better than this four. Like, pull it together. I know <laughs> on, this is just oh, kind okay. of because, because like for violin, let's say bow shakes, that's a big nerve oh, yeah. thing. I mean, the the right. committee always wants candidates to do well, to do their best. That's without exception. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say that. And when okay. you can tell that somebody's good or great, and their bow is shaking, you just you want it to stop as much as they do. Oh, and, that's and you're going to yeah. overlook. You're going to overlook okay. that stuff unless it really just takes over the musical message, which is why as the player, you just, you can't, you have to ignore it right. um, to the extent that you can. I've been in that situation. It sucks. It, it's all you can think about. But if you can still get some kind of musical message across, that shows the committee like, yeah, yeah, they're pulling through. You know, they, they're not going to let this wreck their audition, even though okay. this is a big time nerve situation. For, for a couple other instruments, I can also tell just now that I've heard people on those instruments be nervous or not be nervous. But 
Yeah. W- would you like to hear another round of the audition? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I think that I think the flute one is, is kind no, of this interesting. This is great. Do you know my uh, parents are flutists? That's right. Yeah. And was it your <gasps> oh. grandfather also? Yeah, grandfather also. So my uh, I heard I've heard like thousands of flute lessons in our house from the time I was a baby. And yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're sorry that his parents are flute. <laughs> well, uh, that's actually why I picked flute. Yeah. No. <laughs> Lucky break here. Yes. This is candidate number one playing Mendelssohn. Thank you. This is candidate number two. Thank you. This is candidate number three. I'm sensing a pattern here in, in this uh, audition oh, game. I, I, did, I should have uh, mixed them up oh a little God. bit. Though. Just a question for Nathan. <gasps> yes. Did your parents have metronomes? Was Is that a flute thing? <laughs> because oh. <laughs> I'm sensing that these, that these players did not have metronomes. Hers was like that's like Beethoven metronome. It was like 20 clicks too fast. Well, it's funny. Actually, listening to this, it reminded me of another thing where, uh, you know, number two got cut off quite early. And so it sounds uh, when that happens, especially for an instrument that's way far away from the violin, like maybe I'm enjoying this percussion audition and they get cut off after Mm -hmm. an excerpt and a half. And I'm like, huh, I, I sort of thought that was pretty good, but the powers that be must not think it was that good. Do wow. I vote for them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so does that confuse right. you? Like, are you, do, do you then question everything you knew? Or thought um, you knew? Well, <laughs> that, like, oh, that, even happens, that happens in violin auditions too. Like, I, you know, yeah. I consider that I have a pretty good basis for deciding what, what's good and what's not good about violin, but then we'll get to the discussion portion and that's when your own colleagues, they're like, oh, yeah, number five, just unacceptable sound. And you're like, wait, no, number five, that was clearly the best sound. What, what are they? Then you start, you start yeah. freaking out, like, did I mix up the numbers or am I, am right. I losing yeah. it? Like, and then if the next person also says, <laughs> yeah, number five, the sound, just, just terrible. Then you, you, you think like, huh, well, I thought their sound was like my sound. Does that mean my sound is terrible? <laughs> right. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm, it's nice to know that you also sometimes are like, oh gosh, right. what's happening? Yeah. That's what I, I'm also curious about. Like say in this flute audition that we just heard, like, I think 
that Ken A number three was the most accurate and just the most technically flawless of all the three. I mean, sh- clearly she can play it the fastest. Uh, is that sexist that I assume that the, this flute player was a she? Probably. <laughs> Maybe he or she, whoever it may have been, uh, you know, it was just impeccable technique. Yeah, that, that kind of thing happens. And then you just have to then it's sort of like you, you turn into a school kid again. You're like, all right, well, let's see how the votes shake out. And all those, <laughs> it's we'll, like, we'll settle this in the vote. Basically. Because <laughs> like, how are you going to, you can't discuss your way around that. Like if, yeah, you know, if okay. someone said, yeah, clearly number three was the most accurate. How are you, mm-hmm. unless you had a playback mm-hmm. to like go note by note and say like, okay, no, these six notes. Were when, like, when you have those situations, does that make you question like your colleague and like, does sure. that ever make you wonder if, if like you should be trusting them? Well, but it's similar to, you know, kind of like the members of the committee always want the candidates to do their best all the time. We, we have to make an assumption as members of the committee that all of us are trying to do our best all the time too. And, you know, I would hate for my comments to come back to me years later because I'm sure I'd be embarrassed at some of the judgments I made. Um, so, yeah, you know, some sometimes there are head-scratching comments and times when I just I couldn't disagree more with uh, someone else. But, it, yeah, that, that's when I'm grateful that it's not all up to me. You know, they're, they're kind of fail-safes because mm-hmm. maybe 11 people <laughs> think that person is great and I'm the only one that doesn't. That happens sometimes, I'm sure. And... Other times it's more evenly split and then there's a basis for discussion. Do you think for the sake of influencing others' votes that the person who speaks first has the most power? That is very interesting. And for example, in Chicago, in Mm -hmm. the finals, they don't discuss before the vote, even in the finals. Um, It's only after. Whereas in L.A., there's discussion before the vote in the finals. And those are two very different systems. Now, ultimately, I might say, you know, I, and this is the way it works with me. I generally make up my mind before the discussion, especially for violin. I mean, I I can hardly think of a time, maybe once or twice when I've never thought yes, and then had my vote changed to a no because of a discussion. But there have been a couple of times when I voted no, I was kind of borderline voted no. And then some people raised some points that made me rethink like, uh, yeah, actually, you know, the, but um, it could just as well be the person that speaks last. You know, I, I don't know how to answer that question. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially if the music director is part of the discussion, how does that affect things? Because if the committee might come to a certain consensus and then the music director says, well, you know, that's interesting, but I'm really not interested in that person. Do you vote for them anyway? And do you know? Quote: Do <laughs> your job as a them. <laughs> well, you know. Or, but what's your job as a committee? Like, yeah. do you just change? Does everybody change their votes because the music director? Or do you, you know? Do you say, well, no, this is what the committee thinks, and you know, he's uh, he or she, the music director, will have to decide what to do with mm-hmm. that. That's hard to know too. These are outlined, I think, in like that big union paper that lists like every orchestra's like salary and audition. And there's like one of them is like the audition like rules, or if there is a discussion, if there votes, like how many votes each uh, panel member gets. Like because some some, there's like 
music director gets seven votes or something and everybody just gets one until it's like his vote is like seven times more right. powerful. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm proud of our audition systems in Chicago and L.A., which are the two places where I've been part of lots of auditions. I mean, neither one is perfect, but I, I feel like there's a sense that pervades both of those processes that the committee really wants to come away with with a winner, you know, or, or with several if they're going to be trials or whatever. And, um, you know, all this stuff is part of it, but it's all in the service, hopefully, of finding a candidate in a fair way. But we haven't really talked about the flutist <gasps> oh, yet. Yeah, I didn't want to yeah. derail. Is that... Does anybody else have any strong opinions about the flute, the flute candidates we just heard? Well, something that, yeah, here's something. Okay. So I thought candidate one was rushing the entire time. I couldn't get a pulse that like, first of all, it took me a very long time to locate the beat. And then when I finally did, like it kept coming too soon. So just this, like, you know, this (laughs) rushing and no, really, like I couldn't get a pulse that I was, that made me trust her. Okay. I didn't feel comfortable. So I was looking for that during candidate number two. And so because even though it was slower, like it was much more stable in the rhythm or pulse for that sense. And so then I asked myself, what did I overlook and totally ignore (laughs) that was not okay in candidate number two? Because I was so happy to think, okay, at least she's got a little bit more rhythm or he's got a little bit more rhythm. It's stable. It's comfortable. I can trust. Mm -hmm. And I was not listening to maybe, you know, less phrasing or not as nice of a sound or even the tempo being slower, like, you know, the, the joy for this one thing that the other candidate was lacking caused me to overlook all of these other things. So it's really difficult also as a panelist to be in the moment and really assessing neutrally. Yeah. Like what you're hearing. And I think it's easier in a way in the finals because in the finals, when the question is not, are we advancing this person or whatever, but you know, are, should we give them, a job and make them our colleagues for however many decades, you know, the standard then is like, simply, do I like this? Would I want to hear this on a regular basis day in, day out? And that's usually a pretty easy question to answer, you know, not necessarily who's better between these two candidates, but simply, you know, would I want to hear this? Whereas in the first round or the second round, it's kind of like, we've got such a short time to make a complete picture uh, what I at <laughs> mm-hmm. least want to hear more of this person. That's a more difficult question. So do I you think. think in the earlier rounds, like, so anything that might happen before finals or super finals, do you think in general committees are looking for things to eliminate people? I mean, that that's a phrase I hear a lot and there could, I think it, I think that happens <clears throat> more for cert, some instruments than others. Um, okay. I think especially for woodwind and brass instruments, let's say, there's a certain type of sound yeah. that might exist in, in the section already, you know, especially right. if it's a pretty unified section. And anybody who's not pretty close to that already is just going to get eliminated. Um, that would happen mm-hmm. in horn sections, I know, often. You know, if you don't play the right, right. Kind of, or the same kind of instrument as the others in the section, then that's just, you're not going to fit in here. End of story. Violin, again, is mm-hmm. much more, everybody's got a different instrument. Everybody's got a different way they learned to play. Um, uh, you know, bad pitch, bad rhythm are pretty mm-hmm. easy ways to eliminate people. But I wouldn't say that there's any one or two things that committees mm-hmm. I've been on have looked for to sort of separate the... Okay wheat from the chaff. Yeah. 
I think as you explained it there, like you get to the finals and there's like two candidates or something. And at the end of the day, you you just kind of come to this conclusion that are either these people, people that we would want to hear day in and day out for the next 30, 40 years or something. When you think about it like that, it's like, it makes more sense why there are so many auditions that end in no hires. Yeah. As a candidate, it's so easy just to get into this mentality of like, who does this audition right. panel think they are? And like, really, there's nobody that's good enough right. to play these? And it's like, well, you weren't there. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, let me tell you about a really easy and common situation. This happens all the time. Let's say there's 10 people on a committee and the music director. And mm-hmm. five of them would be happy, like thrilled to hire candidate A. They would re- they mm-hmm. would really be happy to sit with that person for the rest of their careers. And the other half would be really happy to hire candidate B. And so everybody speaks up and it's totally split. You know, the people that like A have reasons why they don't like B and vice versa. So everybody's dirty laundry gets mm-hmm. out there. And then the music director's like, huh, well, yeah, each, both of these people have some pretty strong things that people don't like. Um, Candidate C, nobody really said that much bad about them. Uh, So go with C. (laughs) That happens or a no hire. Ah. And so, you know, from the outside, that audition might look like, oh, so they they thought A wasn't good enough, B wasn't good enough. Those are fantastic players. And it's like, no, half the committee right, would have loved either. to have them. And Such a y- King Solomon move. Be like, all right, you know, <laughs> cut your baby in half then. See how you Basically. like that. <laughs> See oh how you guys... <laughs> right. And then if it, if it did come back to the committee, they'd be like, no, 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 no. no. We don't want C, not C, no, no, anything there. Like I'll, I'll take B, anything. <laughs> But it never goes back to the right, committee. It's always uh, buck stops with the music director. Uh, going going back to something that Nathan said, you talked a bit about you know the panelists having sh- such a short amount of time to paint a picture of the person who's auditioning. Knowing that, okay, if someone who's taking an audition is knowing that, should they play that to their advantage? Would you say that, that that's a mindset that would help someone who's auditioning to know, okay, for this excerpt, I want to show this facet of my musical personality or for this, or is that going then too deep into these head games? Or I want to ask about um, this thing I've been thinking about recently is how people, even speaking from experience, tend to overplay in auditions or they expect to play better than they actually are. They try to all of a sudden play better than they really are rather than play how they are. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And is it good to kind of get this picture of yourself and say, this is the picture I want to present and go with that? Or is Yes. I, I, for me, that's an easy yes. I think you should have some idea of who you are as a player and how that compares to the perception that people mm-hmm. get of your playing when you perform. So I think for that reason, doing a lot of performing is key, performing that's not auditioning. Because then you can go back and, and say, you know, here I, I played a Brahms sonata and uh, Paganini Caprice and some Bach in this recital. And, you know, here's the sound that I have in my ear for my Brahms. Here's, you know, the sound for Bach and the, the feel or whatever. And then you go back and listen and they all sound exactly the same. Well, then you know that what you're hearing in your inner ear is not what the listeners are hearing or not what the microphone is hearing. Mm -hmm. And yes, the winners of auditions, they always sound good. They always sound like themselves, but they're able to 
show different facets, like you said, in the different selections. So one of the things I always coach people on is to figure out why the committee wants to hear each selection, which is a different mm-hmm. thing from figure out how the committee wants mm-hmm. to hear each selection, because you can't get into their minds and you know decide how this orchestra likes to hear this. But if you know, for example, the, the Mendelssohn uh, scherzo for the flute there, if, if you know that it's being asked you know, first to see facility and great rhythm, but then also the ability to show the line at the same time and to do it all in a piano dynamic. And if you know that people want to see, is, is there a dim to pianissimo at the very end of that up to the high G? Or Probably. What, who's the wind player here? Oh, there are no wind players here. Um, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, okay, I, I forget. But if you, uh, yeah, you know, if you know that those are reasons that the excerpt is asked, then that'll shape how you play it. You're definitely not going to overplay it, mm-hmm. or at least you're not going to try to make a big sound on it. You know, you just, you wouldn't even go in that direction. But I also mean overplaying in the sense of not only dynamic, but overplaying in the sense of, of, of technical. Oh, you said trying to be better than. Right. This overplay, you know, like trying to walk into an audition and then try to play at a level that you're not at. Yes, you know, kind of, kind of painting yeah, yeah, a false yeah. picture of yourself. You're hoping to actually paint a different picture, right. Than you really are, hmm. and that sort of that puts you in a in a conundrum or this sort of you know between a rock and a hard place. That, that's a great point and one that's not too often talked about. And that because that just never works. It it never works. <laughs> you just can't fool people in that way. And for, I mean, first of all, you can't sustain that in a high stakes situation anyway. I mean. That really hit home for me and made a big difference in my auditioning after I read a story by um, Don Green, who you guys have probably read, the performance coach who taught a class at Juilliard and um, to musicians. And But previously, he had worked with a bunch of different athletes, including the U.S. Olympic diving team. And he tells a story oh, yeah. about a diver that was really nobody expected to get close to the gold medal, but actually it, with one dive to go found himself sort of in contention like if he really if he dove out of his mind on this last dive he could actually win the gold if he did his usual thing usual slightly lower degree of difficulty um then he would probably win the bronze which would still have been a good result for this person i'm probably getting the details wrong but um so anyway yeah thought you know if i just i'm gonna go for it i'm gonna do this hard Uh dive that i nail some of the time in practice not all the time and you know uh, the rest did, did it poorly and didn't win any medal at all and you know bronze would have yeah. been overachieving if he just kept doing his thing and that really made a big difference for my own auditioning just realizing that i had to play as myself yeah. and stay in my comfort zone you know it's my job in practicing to expand that comfort zone as much as i possibly can but then on stage to stay within what I've built. Okay. So as somebody who is currently taking like all the editions of the world and hates it the most, (laughs) um, for you, who's been on both sides of the screen, what would you say to people who are like, just, they know they're in the mental game and the mental game is, you know, just throwing them for a loop. So like, what would you, obviously, you know, you have to do your work, you have to practice, all that kind of stuff. But what would your recommendation be for, for people who haven't seen the results they want to see? And it's not from necessarily like taking auditions they have no business taking. 
Do you know what I'm saying? You know, like, oh, but they're just like, they know they aren't performing how they can actually yeah. play. In other words, I mean, this person feels like they're just bad at auditions, bad at pressure and likely to stay that way forever. Right. <laughs> right. Like, how could you work on that? Like, is there a way you can practice that not in an actual audition setting? Yeah. I, and it's as much performing as you can do. And then the more that scares you, the more you've got to do. I, now that I'm in LA, I find myself talking more with actors and comics. And like, I was amazed the first time I had a really long conversation with a comic about how many times they get up in front of people Uh before they expect something to feel decent even. So like if they have a, a big show somewhere or even a decent sized show, on a certain date, they'll get out there like 20 times with the same material and try different things mm. and get really uncomfortable 20 times, even if it's just for five okay. minutes or 10 minutes at a time. And then by the time that shows around, they've kind of seen it all. Like they've seen their worst. Whereas most of the auditions I've taken, it's maybe the second or third time I've played that stuff with that uh-huh. much pressure. Right. I mean, now that I've taken a bunch of auditions for some of the selections, you know, it's the 20th time, which is good. But I think setting up solo performances while you're preparing for an audition is a great thing to do. I don't think it interferes and not mock auditions, which uh, sometimes those are good, sometimes not. But real performances, I mean, that's better than not doing them for sure. But I feel like most of the time, it's right. just not a great simulation of the audition thing. Yeah. I, I think getting up in front of a either not necessarily a paying audience, but like it's dark in the hall and you're it's just you performing and you get to shape the music. It's just it's less predictable, actually, than a mock oh, audition. That's really that's really interesting. But I think we get in such a zone of like. I don't have time to do anything else because I have to get ready for this audition. And, you know, so you just like yeah, start early with the preparation and that. build in some time to get out there and play at least a little bit of other music or especially your solo selections, the concertos perform them with piano for an audience. That's great yeah. advice. I really liked your uh, episode you had. Was it uh Brant Taylor or Brent Taylor, the cellist Brandt, who yeah. was talking about like he had just been playing so much chamber music that then he was like, oh, I guess I'll take an audition and like one. Like, yeah. his, I was like, you jerk. Like, I, I, know. I was like, yeah, I, driving. Well, that, that's and kind like, of the first reaction. <clears throat> and the, but then he goes on in detail to say why that worked for him. Right. And it made a lot of sense. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a great episode uh, to listen to against stand partners for life. For life. <laughs> and um, I wanted to share, I've really enjoyed listening to your, your podcast and, and with um, your co-host with your wife, Thank Akiko, you. one of my favorite moments was you were just talking, this episode you just had about tour life. And oh, yeah. I enjoy how Akiko can say so much in so little. There was, there was a part you were talking about how like, <laughs> well, you know, being on tour with your spouse is kind of delicate because, you know, you don't want to be at breakfast <laughs> and be like, uh, you know, getting into a marital dispute or something over breakfast. And Akiko <laughs> just goes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't want some unflattering side of our married life to, to seep into you know our colleagues consciousness yeah because if you know if we're having a bad day or a bad morning or anything it's in front of a hundred other people and... yeah <laughs> i can relate to that i can yeah, relate because uh, uh anna and greg are stand partners f- 
for life too. Maybe yeah, stamp partners for now. That <laughs> 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 right. should have been the name of the show. Stamp partners for now, depending on how this works out. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah, Akiko, she has the the deadly one-liners, the, the uh, deadly looks, but also, you know, it's just yeah. uh, it's so fun to. Mm-hmm. be with her at, at work and to get to talk through all this stuff that, that we then share. Actually, we talk through it on, on the air too. talk through right, it in the yeah. show. Right. <laughs> well, that's what, that's what like our, our, our podcast here is kind of some, some therapy for, for all of us. We're like, oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Therapy. <laughs> oh, that's absolutely. a great word. I, that's how I, you know, part of the inspiration for our show for sure. Well, I'm curious since this is the, the per service podcast, some of the jobs you do are ones that are not going to be you know, you're not going to have the same colleagues forever. Do you, is there a different sense going into an audition or just stepping into the job uh, where you can, you can, or you can almost reinvent yourself for the job because maybe not everybody knows you already. Is there anything that's part of that experience that you find to be like taking an audition? Well, Mm -hmm. it's always like, you know, I think breaks at rehearsals are like one of the worst things when you, are the new person or you don't know everyone because you're like, uh, who's going to sit with me at ooh, lunch yeah. <laughs> or whatever. And, and so oh. in that way, like I usually get more nervous over that type of stuff and the social interaction as opposed to like, am I prepared for my part? Cause like, I know I can be prepared and that's on me, but like, I can't control other people talking to me or not. And so like right. in that way, that more feels like an audition is like, I'm going to, as a per, like I'm auditioning you as a human, as opposed to as a musician or whatever. And that can be stressful. Yeah. Yeah. For me, there's an orchestra down here and, uh, people who kind of told me about it were like, yeah, the personal manager, he's, he's a trumpet player. So like, he doesn't really know like how well the string violins are playing. So, but, but the big thing is like, you just got to get along with, with him. And no so it's pressure. like, as long as you guys are buddies, like you'll be fine. <laughs> that was like so nerve wracking for me. I was like, oh man, I gotta like be upbeat and get along with this trumpet player, which I know we don't, I don't always get along with like the brass player mentality. I know we just don't always click, you know? And so it's like trying to be oh like, oh my hey, gosh, buddy. hilarious. Yeah. I definitely feel that way. And so I was like, this is uncomfortable. <laughs> I would rather be playing Don Juan right now. I'd rather be playing Don Juan. Rather be, that should be a bumper sticker. I'd, really, oh, yes. I'd rather be playing Don Juan. Oh, like, like three people in the world would own it or so, you know, like actually have it on their case. Yeah. That, that's going to be a hot seller. I have a, have a lightning round question. What is your least favorite piece to play? Ooh. Orchestrally or solo wise? Yes. Or, or, yeah. How about orchestrally? Uh, to where when I see it come up, I just. Yeah, you're just like, maybe I should call off that week. Um, yeah, no, I, I guess I'm coming up with a couple candidates right now. Um, <laughs> one is Schubert Two. 9, and I hate saying that because it's such an awesome piece, but it is just so long and so tiring for the arm. Yeah, when I see it come up, I'm just like, oh, maybe there were a way to just sit this one out. Right. um, And I think Tchaikovsky 4 is the other one. I just, yeah, actually, Brant, Brant Taylor, my old cello colleague in the CSO, had a saying. He's like, I think I could go the rest of my career without, and then it would be, you know, fill in the name of the piece. Like, Uh, I I wouldn't be missing out. yeah. (laughs) Yeah, if we never played that one again. 
I feel that way about uh, the Enigma variations. Oh, interesting. I'm just like, I'm just, I'm just like, uh, they, it's just like so start and stop, and it's like uh, if we if we all get off on the wrong foot, it's like it's over by the time. <laughs> like that variation is over by the time we get oh, back yeah. on. It's like, yeah. Uh, and how well, about that's my, how about that's the rest of you guys? I, I feel know. that way about Hamilton. What's your name, man? Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> that's, that's kind of a problem, Anna. Just kidding. He chose a week. It's fine, you guys. Nothing to see oh, here. Yeah. <laughs> that's a really good question. Mahler one. Christian, uh, that's sad. Uh, it gets pr- it gets pr- sorry, but it gets programmed here so often, uh, and I played it so really? many mm-hmm. times. Really? Or Mendelssohn four. Ah, uh, interesting. Uh, t- Italian. <laughs> Like also programmed, and it's just I think I think that's what it is. If, if something is programmed a lot, mm. and if I'm not mm. having a a new musical experience during it, then it's like uh, you know, like I don't need three rehearsals on this. I don't you know, and a general rehearsal <laughs> yeah. and, and two concerts enough. <laughs> yeah, I always wanted to say to the conductor before the before the downbeat of the first rehearsal, like one of those pieces, oh. it's like, you better have something really interesting to say about this or I'm checking out in about 60 seconds. So exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which is unfair. Yeah. And gone. Yeah. Chike 5 is like Yeah, that. Chike 5 is like another Chike one. Five, mm-hmm. I, and I don't know, I feel like I've played that. It was one of those pieces that like I somehow escaped playing for huh. a really long time. And, and I, I like never, and then all of a sudden it's been like, like multiple times. Well, usually when I decide, yeah, one of those pieces <laughs> that I never want to see again, and then it'll be a conductor coming in who really makes it new for me, and I'm like, how how did I start this mm-hmm. week thinking I hated this piece? And exactly. I know. Ex- that's right. a, yeah, if the conductor can make it new, then it's then it's a game changer. It's fine. That but. sort of brings up just a quick topic. I think we were talking about is like you know, say after you get the job or whether you that means you won an audition or not and playing an orchestra how do you day in and day out enjoy playing the orchestra music because there i mean there are a lot of musicians that finally they win the job and they get just really burnt out and they it's no longer enjoyable to them what are, what are your little <sighs> insights on that well i think that is going to happen to 99% of people i mean i, I think if you expect mm-hmm. the job to make you happy or keep you happy um then you're, mm-hmm. you're just setting yourself up for long-term disappointment um, because there's no question the music is great unless you're in a weird orchestra that only programs bad music. But, you know, <laughs> chances are you're going to be playing something at least every couple of weeks. That is, That's a niche that yeah. hasn't been fully explored. That's yet. true. We call up the League of American Come Orchestras. To Austria and you'll find it. <laughs> we play so, bad music. you know, the, the music... You know, when I started, I thought, well, there's, you know, no matter what's happening in the rest of my life, I'm getting to play this music. And that's that's the bottom line. It's like, you know, the, in the end, that's not the bottom line. <laughs> that's what mm-hmm. one line on on the mm-hmm. sheet of paper or something. Um, and it's a great one. But I think the very fact if you can separate the job from your life, so much the better, because mm-hmm. I, I think about this when I see yeah. our nanny with our kids. I'm like, how does she not lose her temper? Like, how does she stay so patient with these kids when, when it's me and it's nighttime, I just lose yeah. it and start. And I'm like, well, it's sure. her job. Like if, if yeah. I got yeah. angry and said all the things I'm thinking at work all the time, then yeah, I'd get fired. I mean, I, there's, there are ways that you <laughs> comport yourself on the job that actually can yeah. make it in the end, it can make it enjoyable. 
because you're like, no, I, yeah. I don't need to say that biting comment. You're like, I don't need mm-hmm. to keep thinking these negative thoughts because I have a job to do. Yeah, totally. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And then that ties yeah. you over to the next I, great time. I, have, right. I had a very similar question. I think I have to ask it in a sort of like devil's advocate or very like arrogant sort of way because it relates to something that you said earlier that I know that I really liked about during the audition process, like you found the success and the relief by kind of staying in your comfort zone, Mm -hmm. like recognizing who you were as a musician and coming to terms with that and playing like that. Yeah. And so my question is, is like you were undoubtedly a very successful musician looking at your career, where you are now first associate concert master in Los Angeles Philharmonic, but you are not concert master yeah. like, of Los, Los Angeles right. Philharmonic. No, right. hold on. No, really. Think about it. Or I did say my title was too long. Oh, oh right. Exactly. Like, that's why you want it shorter. So it's concert master. No, or of, or of, let's say, New York Phil or Berlin or Concertgebouw, whatever, you know, like we can discuss forever what the best orchestras are. Or, you know, you're not the soloist coming through to solo right. with LA and then on to New York and... Munich and and what have you. So have you as a musician needed to come to terms with that comfort zone in the orchestra where you are as first associate concert master? Have you had, what has it been like for you now having won the job and recognizing who you are as a musician in that position and to know that that position also has boundaries, you know, behind you and in front of you. Right. Yeah. That's a, it's a great question. I mean, that, comfort zone comfort with yourself and your your place in life really your identity right is what what right. we're, we're talking about mm-hmm. i think you have to come to terms with it and gain some comfort with it and at the same time not let it define you forever so just like you know you take an audition <clears throat> you've prepared in a certain way and you've built up a certain comfort zone. And let's say I want to stay in that for that audition. But right after that audition, I may decide, you know, I'm not happy with my musical identity, my playing identity. And so I'm going to work to change it. You know, in life too, you can, you have to come to terms with where you are and find happiness and satisfaction where you are. And at the same time, make you know, take steps to make the changes that you want to make. I mean, even it was like that when Akiko and I were in the Chicago Symphony and we had just decided, you know, we were complaining about not having artistic control. And so either we got to come to terms with that or do something about it. And we, we didn't have kids and we felt young enough, like, okay, Nathan's going to take some auditions and Akiko's going to take some auditions and we're willing to make a change. And you know, I don't know if that's the last change we'll ever make, but I I love my job here and I love the, as you said, the kind of the dual roles. There are people behind me, there's someone in front of me most weeks, and going between that is a really fun challenge, you know, but I won't say that's the last step and maybe that means that could mean a different orchestra or a different position, sure. but... You know, I definitely reserve the right to <laughs> always reevaluate where I am. But but when when you said, yeah, how do you come to terms? I'm I'm definitely the kind of person I I need some stability, emotional stability in my life, which is part of why I went the orchestral route in the first place. Because I just mm-hmm. I didn't have the confidence that I'd be happy traveling around and being judged as a solo player day in and day out. 
you know, I wanted to settle in a city and, and mm-hmm. have a life that I could plan out more. So yeah, I definitely totally. can't, mm-hmm. I couldn't go to work every day thinking like, oh, you know, I should be somewhere else. I should be doing something else. I, I couldn't live like that. So I would mm-hmm. say those, those two yeah. sides are in, in tension, but a, not, not a simmering tension, just a, <laughs> a rubber band type tension. Yeah. That's a great question. Thanks for waiting that one through to see uh, it wasn't an insult. I, I was like, uh, Christian? Where are you going with this one, Where are you going with this one buddy? Not I know, all. but that's why, that's why I qualified it with right. the, like, I have to play devil's advocate yeah. or, like, I ask it in an arrogant way. <laughs> oh, no, but, I mean, uh, also, it's not like I just met you either. That's what's nice. We get to talk here for a while. And, you, you know, know we're, that, we're a bunch of factor, jokes. Just like <laughs> <another. laughs> Exactly. Well, we should yeah. try and wrap it up and let you get out of here. Oh, we have to first vote if, we, if we're if we going to vote Nathan through to a, a second episode sometime oh, in the future. Do you, think he, do you think he did pretty oh. good? I think he did pretty good. Oh, well, where's my clicker? Not Hold on. Let me find it's my clicker. It's unanimous, unlike have most you, voting panels. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I have clicked in. I think I've... That, I believe that means you usually <laughs> yeah. go straight to the finals. <laughs> If you awesome. get a Ooh. unanimous vote in the prelims. Unanimous the final vote. test, though, is going to be doing the sign-off. So you have to Ooh. go at the end, and you have to say, and I'm That's your call. job. That's, oh, okay. All right, all right, this right, is, right. all right. That's your job. This literally took us like and a we year still have, to We still right. have trouble. We, I, so and trouble. we still sometimes I'm sweating trouble. already. So, all right, sweating. don't mess it up, Nathan. Yeah, don't mess it up. It's, it's pretty nerve-wracking. All right, are you ready? I have to do all the... To hear more from Nathan Colt, go visit... Stand Partners for Life, the podcast available on iTunes. Lots of great resources at natesviolin.com. And are you yep. anywhere else? Facebook in, and Instagram. Instagram. Yeah, yeah, you're Nate's on Facebook. Violin, everywhere. 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 I'm going to friend him. Yeah. Just go to the internet. You'll find him. Just <laughs> shout it. <laughs> shout it, Siri. Siri! No, I don't know. Um... So thank you so much for joining us. This was a lot of fun. Oh, thank you. This was awesome. With our, with our, putting up with our silly game. But I think it was it was fun and informative. So. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. That's all I've got. I am Michael Giblin. I'm Jessica Wiersma. I'm Anna Luce. I'm Christian Marshall. And I'm Nathan Cole. <laughs> Ooh, you got a little, a little extra. extra a little extra one. trumpet. There you go. All right, I gotta go play the show, you guys. Wish me luck. I gotta go up to play Hamilton One. Have fun. (laughs) You know, Schubert Nine, Tchaikovsky (laughs) Four, Hamilton One. Oh yeah, Hamilton One. (laughs) Oh, I hate that one. I I never want to play that one again. Me too. Shame. It's a real shame. Bye, guys. Thanks so much, Nathan. You're the best. Oh no, thank you, guys. Well, that is our show, folks. What a classy guy. We tried our best to throw him off his game, but he is so thoughtful, generous, and professional. Again, Stand Partners for Life, not for now, Stand Partners for Life is his podcast, and natesviolin.com is where you can find all the resources from Nathan Cole. Our work is supported also by some great people who are our patrons through patreon.com. We would like to thank Ray Fisher, Siri Bloom, Kathleen Lovingood, Sarah Lee, and Anne Bergman. And if you are willing and able and would like to support us financially with a monthly pledge, we need your support for equipment, software licensing, 
and replacing hard drives when they all of a sudden just stop working like like I have. Um, you can find a link to that on our show notes page, which is perservice.co slash 42 or by just searching for our show on patreon.com. And if you're not in a place where you can give financially, uh, we totally understand. There's one thing that would make a big difference is that if you go to iTunes, would you leave us a just honest rating or review we really read them and it means a lot to us because it helps other musicians find our show we've got more great episodes coming up soon and more updates about what's happening in all of our lives some big changes up ahead so stay tuned for that well we covered a lot of great topics in this episode i'm going to leave you with one final thought this is from steve jobs he wrote your work is going to fill a large part of your life. And the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found that yet, keep looking. Don't settle. And with all matters of the heart, you'll know when you find it. Mmm, good stuff. Well, until we see you next time, be well and practice well. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I love the show. So I never got to say oh, that in person. for Life so. has been so fun to listen to. I listen to it like when I'm driving. Oh, good. It's really fun. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, I'll tell Akiko. She'll yeah, be. Yeah, it's great. I also listen to us guys. Don't worry. I do listen. <laughs>